Thank you for checking out this sermon video here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. You are joining us for our series called Radical Red Letters, Kingdom Living in a Chaotic Land. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text new to hope to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form for you to fill out so we can get to know you better. Once again, thank you for joining us today and enjoy the sermon. Amen. Well, if your family is anything like my family, we love playing board games and card games. Now, I know not every family is like that. Some of you just went, no way, the house gets too intense and we're not into that. But for us, I, I, love, I love board games for a couple reasons. One, I have a bunch of little kids and so I love to win and it's really easy to win when they're really small. That's a great thing. I'm very competitive and so it's great to play against four people in elementary school because you win a lot. But also, honestly, like, it, it's just a great thing, especially during quarantine and all that. It's great to, to stop looking at a screen and just get people around a board and, and some cards and just actually play something that you can hold in your hands. And, and I like it. But, but there's a very, 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 very important aspect to playing games that is crucial to the fun and success of those games. And I'm going somewhere with this today. In order for a game to be fun and successful, you have to play by the rules. Now, I know I just, even as I say that, kind of philosophically split the, the room. And if you're watching online, maybe your living room, I just philosophically kind of split you guys up because there are some people, amen, amen <laughs> that play a game as it was intended to be played. They understand there's a set of rules and they understand the, the game is to be operated with said set of rules. And that is how the game is meant to be played. And that is good and right and holy. And then there's another sect of people, no names, that defy all things that are good and right and responsible and kind of just play the game however they want to that day and whatever they're feeling, they say, let's just play according to whatever we think in the moment. Now, you can kind of tell which one of these I belong to. I am a fan of the rules. And so when I first started dating my now wife, Candace, we were in high school, and I first started dating her, I was the new guy to the family. And so when we would play board games, I was a little shook, to be honest with you, because there was a lot of non-rule followers in the room, and I didn't know what to do as the new guy. But eventually, I got courageous and called a timeout and said, there is something called instructions, and we should play by them. And that was 16 years ago, and now... No matter what setting, if I'm with my wife's family, my family, and it's a, big, it's a big group of people or the smaller group of people, more of the tight-knit family, Scott is known as the rules guy. 16 years later, I don't think I've talked about instructions in 16 years, but they'll be like, oh, there's rules, ask Scott. He knows about the rules. Say, so why are you bringing up the fact that you are the rules guy? If you read the Bible... We're going somewhere with this today. But if you read the Bible, specifically in Jesus' life, it doesn't take very long before you run into the New Testament version of rules guys. And they're really important to where we are going today. These guys are called in the Bible the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And here's the deal with the scribes and the Pharisees. I understand we got a lot to talk about with them, but these guys kind of get a bad reputation. And rules guys like me sometimes feel a little bad for these guys. Because if you didn't know, because a lot of times we just talk about scribes and Pharisees are, are bad. And, and we're going to talk about that as well today. But, but these are the guys that you have to understand. These guys were very hardworking. They would have had the Hebrew scriptures memorized by the time they were like in grade school. These guys would have been the, the valedictorians of their class. I mean, these guys were driven and go-getters. But as we are going to see, they let that kind of get to their heads and, and really missed the point. You see, the Jewish people, when Jesus entered the scene, they were under the spiritual leadership of these scribes and Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees, they actually took God's law, which was good and right, and they actually made it something was never meant to be. They, they made it something that they told people, abide by these rules and regulations, and then God will be happy with you. This is all in the New Testament. When you start to meet Jesus, you see, and throughout Jesus' life, you see him interacting with these scribes and Pharisees. They said, we play by the rules, and here are the rules. And they expected everybody else to play by the rules. In fact, they constructed this relentless and rigid legal system of do's and don'ts that they forced on people. And they said, if you want to be in God's good graces, here are the rules to this game of life. In fact, there were 613 of these rules or laws. So I don't know if what you woke up thinking this morning, but these people woke up thinking there are 613 ways I can either please God or not please God. And by the way, there's also these other people named scribes and Pharisees who are going to make sure that I'm abiding by these 613 rules. You say, why are we talking about these rules, guys? Well, we are in a series as a church right now called Radical Red Letters. We are studying what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the first few verses of that sermon is called the Beatitudes. And, and the Beatitudes are these radical statements that Jesus made that would have been like record scratch moments. We've all seen that in a movie or, or, or a TV show where somebody said something and there's like a, and like everybody turns their head and goes, what did he just say? This is an awkward moment because he just said something that was radical. And Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. He, he led all of his disciples up to a mountain. And all the things that we're dealing with today, they were dealing with back then. If you, if you haven't caught up to our series, go back and listen to, to Pastor Vance's first sermon in Radical Red Letters. He paints this beautiful picture of, of the political and the social and the religious chaos that was happening when Jesus entered the scene. And we can, we can feel that a little bit in 2020. This chaos Radical red letters, kingdom living in a chaotic land. So Jesus takes his disciples on a mountain, transcending all of the noise. And he wants to start talking to them about how to live in the kingdom. And he starts by giving these beatitudes, these, these eight radical things that, that would have cut through all the noise. We've been given a definition of beatitudes each week. These are, these are eight radical declarations of kingdom living resulting in contentment in the midst of the chaos. We could use that in 2020. These things that Jesus are saying, is saying that, that, it, that is about the kingdom and how we live as citizens of the kingdom that cut through the noise. And not only cut through the noise, actually, if we start following them, it gives us contentment despite the chaos, despite the noise. So today we are going to read one verse, one of these Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And again, we have to remember the scene. Some of Jesus' disciples are there. Some skeptics might be there. 
And then as you read all through Jesus' life, every time he was teaching, the scribes and the Pharisees were hanging around the back. They were trying to see what he was teaching them. Is he, is he teaching them something different than these 613 ways we've told people to follow God? So this is the scene when Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, 11 words. Blessed, remember, we're not going to unpack that too much. You can go back and listen. That's, that's happy, satisfied. That's that word blessed. Happy or, ble- or satisfied or blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are going to unpack those 11 words in the message today. And I want to unpack them by by asking three questions. Now, normally, leave that verse on the screen here for a minute. Normally, we would start with, what is he saying to people? We're going to talk about this pure in heart thing. Normally, we would start with that. But we're going to kind of reverse engineer today. And I I want to ask the question, what is the promise to those who are pure in heart? What is this second part of the verse before we talk about the first part of the verse? So what is the promise concerning those who are pure in heart? And again, we have to remember the context. Anytime you read the Bible, you always got to remember, who are these words being said to? What is the scene that we are looking at and and peering into through God's word? And so we are looking again at at a group of people who some were following Jesus and some might have been skeptics. And again, these people have all been under this religious system. They have all felt the, the weight of, man, 613 ways to mess up or to do good. Only by those will you be able to have any sort of relationship or you even get close to God. These spiritual bosses would come around and make sure they knew, have you done your 613 things? Have you not done your 613 things? That's the only way you even get close to God. So Jesus, on this hillside, after he's already given these these amazing radical declarations, he says, I want to tell you people, you everyday normal people, I want to tell you how to see God. This was a radical, this would have been that record scratch moment. Because we got to remember, this isn't a time where they jumped on their camel and they turned on the Christian radio station. This isn't a time where they walked past five or six mega churches talking about Jesus. This is a time where they have been told their whole lives, the only way you see God is by doing all the good things and staying away from all the bad things and making sure you religiously follow the scribes and the Pharisees who tell you everything you don't want to hear or you do want to hear. They tell you everything they want to tell you and they tell you exactly how you see God. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, I want to show you how you see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. We talk about it all the time here at Open. It's very important that the New Testament, as awesome as it is, was not written in the, the, the language of English. It was written in New Testament Greek. It was written in the Greek language. And so when we see the word see, we actually have to understand there's a lot of different words for see in Greek. There's a few words for see that we're going to talk about. Three primary words used in the Greek language that are all translated in our English word, see. We'll talk about those for a minute. The first word is to see with the eye. It's literally like when you go to the optometrist and you have to see all those letters and they ask you which ones you can read and which ones you can't. It's something you're looking at and then you stop looking at it. You see like I see my Bible right now. That's one word for, that's one Greek word for the word see. 
Another one is, is a word that means to see and observe. It's kind of this picture of going to the theater or going to a movie. I'm going to go to a movie. I actually haven't been to the COVID movie style. I've heard they're opening now, but I haven't been yet. But when I go again, I'm going to sit in the, the, the movie theater and I'm going to see a movie. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to observe. And then I'll make some, uh, some, some observations and then we'll walk out a couple hours later and I've seen a movie. And then, of course, there's a, a third way. And this way is to see and to know. This speaks of this face-to-face to to have conversation with, to have a personal relationship or friendship with. My wife and I, we have uh, some great friends, Corey and Faith Hale, and, and they literally today just moved across the country to New England. Super bummed. It's really sad. Our kids are friends. And, and we already are making plans. They literally left this morning. They are, we're making plans to go see them next summer. Like that's going to be our family vacation to go see our friends, the Hales. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not going to drive across the country with my family and I'm not going to knock on their door and see them and then turn around and go back and say, okay, I've seen you. Right? I'm not going to also get a lounge chair and sit in their grass and look at them and see them and observe them and not say anything to them, but just watch them for a week and then say, all right, good to see you guys and leave. That would not be what friends do. Now I'm going to go see them. I'm going to go spend time with them. I'm going to hang out with them. We're going to go to dinner with them. We're going to hang out with their kids. We are going to have relationship with them. And that is the see that Jesus is talking about here. That's the Greek word. When he says you will see God, he's not talking about seeing some far off distant thing or sitting back and observing that thing. He's talking about knowing God. It's a relational term. He is promising, hey, you want to have fellowship with God? You want to know God personally? Now you're starting to see how radical this is. How dare you tell regular, everyday, not learned, not spiritual, not, not, not they know 613 laws. But how dare you tell people, Jesus, that they can know God personally like a friend. That's our job. We're the scribes and the Pharisees. So that's the promise. Jesus is telling everyday people like you and me. A lot of you probably didn't know all those Greek words. You're like, man, I'm just struggling trying to work my nine to five and follow Jesus. Jesus is saying to us today, regular everyday people, hey, here's how you see God. Here's how you know God. He says by being pure in heart. That's the second question we want to ask today. What does it mean to be pure in heart? That's kind of a a spiritual term, a churchy term. If you've been around church for any length of time, you may have heard that idea of being pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Again, this word pure in the Greek is a word packed full of meaning. But I love it because this word doesn't mean something that's never been dirty. This is really important for us. This word doesn't mean something that's never been dirty. It's actually the opposite. It means something that was dirty, but then has been cleansed, which is good for us. Because we're all dirty. We all wreck, we mess up. We got sin, right? So if, if, if we have to be pure in heart, i.e. never, we've never done anything wrong. We've been clean and spotless our whole lives. We're in trouble. But this idea of pure in heart is we were dirty, but he has made us clean. You see, the Pharisees loved this idea of purity on the outside. Blessed are the pure. They may have been down with that statement before Jesus said what he said next. Because these guys were experts at looking pure on the outside. Remember, these were the rules guys. They had the regulations covered on what you could eat what you wore, how far you could walk on certain days. They had an A-plus rating on looking the part on the outside. 
but they didn't spend too much time on the inside. This beatitude, they would have loved it to say, blessed are the outwardly clean. Blessed are those who portray a good image. But Jesus didn't say, blessed are the rule keepers. Blessed are those who have a great image. Blessed are the spiritual. Blessed are the people that look super Christian on Instagram or have it all together on Thursdays and Sundays. He said, blessed, happy, satisfied are the pure in heart. Now we understand just reading that this is not talking about the blood pumping organ that's in each of our chests. It's not talking about blessed are the pure in organs. He's talking about something deeper than that. He's talking about who we really are. This is, this is a really, this is talking about the real you. And I love this because you follow Jesus in the scriptures. Jesus was relentless about pursuing not what we put on the outside, but what is going on on the inside for real. In this culture that Jesus was in, and probably honestly more in our culture today, it's really easy to put an image up of yourself on the outside without really thinking too much on the inside. Social media has like magnified this times a million. Right? You, you want to you look like you got the perfect family, hire a photographer, get all the matching clothes, go out to Red Rock, and all of a sudden you look like you got the perfect family on Instagram and Facebook. Doesn't matter that five minutes before the picture was taken, you and your spouse were arguing, kids were pulling each other's hair, one was crying, you had to wait till he stopped crying to actually take the picture so he didn't look like he was crying in the picture. I've been here before. <laughs> Guys, stop, 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 smile. Right, that's happened in my life, probably yours. And guess what, on Instagram it looks beautiful. What a perfect family. You wanna have the perfect body on Instagram, an outward appearance, there's apps for that now. Take a little bit off here, add a little bit of there, throw a filter on it, now all of a sudden you look way different, you can't even recognize you. Sorry. You wanna make whatever it is you wanna look like, you can look like in 2020. Snap the pic, make some edits, throw on a filter, and let the likes and approval just start streaming in. Listen, social media is not bad. It's just not real. You can't look. People don't get to know Scott Worthington by going on my Instagram. Okay, he's got a couple kids, four. Uh, he's got some stuff going on. He likes this. He likes that. But that's not getting to know the real me. Jesus is after the real you. And we can get so caught up in this. We portray an image. Jesus had some passionate things to say about that. He addressed the, the rule, religious rule keepers. And again, sometimes we think of Jesus as this meek and mild-mannered guy. I want you to hear what we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 23. I want you to hear the passion and, and the frustration and the, honestly the holy anger, the righteous anger of Jesus. Here's what he says to these religious rule keepers we've been talking about all day. Woe to you. Woe to you. That's like, hey, heads up, guys, listen to me right now. How dare you? Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What did Jesus just say to them? Hey, like the casket that just left the church earlier today, it looks beautiful on the outside. It's got ornaments, it's adorned, but inside is, is rotten and deceit. And that's what you are like. On the outside, you look good, but inside is rotten and decay. And you got to stop fronting on these people. The heart. I got caught up in this this week as I was studying. Man, how much, how much am I focusing on the heart? Because we focus a lot on the outward. 
Why the heart? Well, the heart is the real me. Not only is it the real me, the heart is what produces the things that come out of my life. Right? You could say that the heart is the soil where everything you see is grown. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 12. For the mouth speaks out of which fills the heart. That's my wife and I, from an early age, we, we wanted to tell our kids, we wanted to explain to our kids this concept of, of sin and how they need Jesus. Like we don't want to wait till they're older to say, oh yeah, by the way, we've been telling you you're awesome your whole life, but you're a sinner and you need Jesus. That's kind of weird for kids to kind of comprehend. So we want to tell them from a very early age, mom and dad need Jesus, you need Jesus. There's this thing called sin. And when you just did that on the outside, that wasn't just something you did on the outside because you're a bad, you made a bad choice. It's because you are bad. I know that sounds pretty gnarly, but that's the Bible. How do you explain that to a two-year-old or a four-year-old? The way my wife and I framed it with some counsel from some other people, we, we told our kids from a very early age that we all have ugly hearts. We said, man, when, when, you, make, when, you, when you are disrespectful to your parents or when you take your toy from your brother or sister or when you, you push or you hit or you lie or you steal, that's not just outward things. It's because you have an ugly heart that's producing those outward things. And guess what? We never grow out of our ugly hearts. We feel that, right? We might have heard it like that. But when my wife and I mess up, we, 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 we give too harsh a consequence. We, we raise our voice. What do we have to do to our kids? We go to our kids and we repent and we say, hey, mom and dad didn't fight our ugly heart in that moment. That's a banner at the Worthington house, fighting your ugly heart. What is that? That's saying out of my heart is coming everything you see in the outside. And we didn't fight that in the moment. Every time I stepped across God's boundary, every time you've stepped across God's boundary, it started in the heart. It manifested in your life, but it started in the heart. So what does it really mean to be pure in heart? Well, there's a couple aspects we want to talk about. And for, if you've been coming to Hope for any length of time, this will be review for you. But it's, it's good review. Maybe this is new for you. But these are what I like to call gospel reminders because it's important to talk about these different aspects of purity. Here's the first aspect of being pure in heart. There's this idea of positional purity. Again, people, hope people, if you're here, if you're online, this is good gospel reminder. You've heard this. Positional purity. This is the purity that has been given to us right now because of our relationship with Jesus. Simply put, if you're a Jesus follower, if you have given your heart and life to God and said, save me, Jesus... You have been given the righteousness and the purity and the holiness of God. You're like, that don't feel like my life. Positionally, that is true of you. This is the amazing grace of God. When God looks at Scott Worthington or, or fill in the blanks, when God looks at us as followers of Jesus, he doesn't see the messed up version that we're trying to fix up. He doesn't see what I used to do. When God looks at Scott Worthington or God works, looks at you as a Jesus follower, he sees the righteousness and the purity of Christ. I'm positionally pure. No matter what you've done, no matter who, 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 what, you've, what, you've, what you've said in the past, the, the ways you've walked in the past, what you even did today, if you are a Jesus follower, Romans chapter 5 tells us that we've been justified by Christ because of what he did for us. And we are positionally pure. But there's another aspect of purity. The other aspect of purity is, is practical purity. Now the positional purity, this is, this is God's job. Like, we can't do that. You can't work your way up to being positionally pure by all your good deeds. That's what they tried to do with the 613 and they failed every time. You and I, that's God's business right there, being positionally pure. He calls you, he draws you, you realize your need for him and you say yes and you have a friendship relationship with God and he saves you and you're positionally pure. But the practical side is tough. 
that's the wrestle that I'm kind of looking, even through masks right now. And probably if you're watching online, you're feeling like, this feels weird because I don't feel very pure. That's this practical side of purity. All over the New Testament, we're encouraged to strive by God's grace towards purity of heart that results in life change. That's what we're talking about here. The positional purity of God was given to us by him. The practical is what now he is doing in and through our lives as we surrender and abide in him. And let's be honest, that's really hard. Like right now, you're sitting there thinking, I I hear that I'm positionally pure, but practically this is really hard to live out when I have a rocky marriage. Let's be real. It's practically really hard to live this out when my, my kids are driving me crazy. I just need a break, man. It's, it's hard to practically live out this purity when, when COVID has kind of wrecked my whole family's budget. I lost my job. That addiction that I thought I beat five years ago just reared its ugly head in these last eight months of this chaos. And I don't feel very pure right now. When you hate what you see in the mirror and you don't know how to fix it, but you know you focus too much on what you see and you want to focus more on Jesus, but you can't help it. See, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we sing these songs, I'm not enough, unless you come. That's not a one time you got saved at camp song. That's an everyday surrender. I'm positionally pure, but living this out practically is hard, bro. It's hard. So what does this look like practically? That's the last question I want to ask and answer today. What does it look like in my life practically to be pure in heart? Again, this word pure, we're going to talk about one really, really important aspect as we finish up today. This, this word pure is a packed word. We talked about the fact that it, it doesn't not mean that it's never been dirty. It's that it was dirty and it's been clean. But also it speaks to this idea of, of, of being not diluted, being pure, of one pursuit or, or whole. As our teaching team kind of unpacked this the last couple of weeks, really this is, we're, we're seeing this play out practically for us. And it's really the idea, the basic idea of integrity. What is integrity? That's a word we kind of hear a lot, right? Like what, but what is integrity? Well, the word comes from the root word integer. That threw me back to like junior high math. I know an integer is a whole number, right? So, okay, a whole number. How does that apply to my life? Integrity is the quality or condition of being whole. Again, that's not really doing it for me. That's too vague. That's way too high in the clouds. I I love what the literary giant C.S. Lewis said about integrity. It kind of changed the way I viewed several years ago when I read this. I'm like, man, that, I get that. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. Integrity is doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. Integrity is being the same person, whether people can see it or not. So as we live out practically purity in heart, one of the aspects, one of the big aspects is, hey, are you the same person, whether you're by yourself or whether you're right here in this room or right there with your family online, tuning into church? So Jesus is saying, you want to see God? You want to have that fellowship, communion with God? Be a person of integrity. You're striving by grace to practically live out your purity. One aspect is going to be your integrity. I'm going to try to illustrate this for us. See, I grew up in a uh, construction home. My, my, my stepdad, my whole life, has done construction in the city of Las Vegas. Um, and, and we understand construction. Like, there's constantly construction happening all around our city. No matter where you live, there's cones and there's houses being built. And there's, there's construction everywhere. So I want you to imagine this scene. You're sitting in a stoplight, maybe on Serene and Eastern. And right in front of you is a construction truck, one of a thousand we're going to see in the next couple weeks. 
And it, it's, it's ABC Construction. And underneath the title, they have a little tagline. And it says something like this, building homes with integrity since 1994. You've seen that. I, just, just today as I was finishing up this message, I looked outside and that amazing building we got going on out there. It's, it's almost done, by the way, praise God. That amazing building. And there was an integrity concrete truck. Like for whatever reason, the construction industry has come around this idea of integrity, which makes you go like, why? Here's why. Because when I walk into your house and even as we look around this room, right there where you're sitting in your living room or your bedroom, you can look around your house and see beautifully painted drywall, light switches that work, outlets that you can plug your iPhone into. All of it just works. And we understand as we think about it, but we never think about it. But if we really dive in, we'll go, yeah, there's a whole lot going on behind the walls of my house. Like we've seen that building right across the courtyard go up and now it's looking like this beautiful structure. But at first it was a, it was a big pot, a plot of dirt and then some big beams went up and then all these wires were hanging everywhere. And now you walk in and it's this beautiful. And when you guys all walk in there later this fall, there's going to be this beautiful, amazing structure. But there's a whole lot of things going on behind the walls of that structure, behind the walls of your house. If you didn't know, there's, there's thousands of nails and fasteners, and a bunch of electricity, and plumbing. And you don't understand all that. You just know when you flush your toilet, it flushes. When you turn the light on, it turns on. And all this stuff works. But there's a million things going on behind the scenes to make it work. Behind the walls are a thousand things that make the, out the exterior work. So how does this apply to living our lives practically pure? The question I want you to wrestle with, and I've wrestled with this week, is, is what's going on behind the walls of your life? Is it legit? Because ABC Construction tells us they've been building homes with integrity since 1994. Here's what they're saying. Hey, you can't see behind the walls, but we're here to tell you at ABC Construction, it's legit. You can trust it. You can't see it, but you can trust it. It's with integrity. What's going on behind the walls of your life and my life? Listen, do you struggle? This is not talking about perfection. Do we struggle? Yes. Are there hangups? Yes. Are there times when I totally blow it as a spouse or a father or even a Christian? Yes. That's why we need Jesus. But the idea here is, are you, I love what Pastor Vance said a couple weeks ago. He said, it's not perfection, it's direction. And that sounds kind of cheesy, but I love it. Here it is. It's not about being perfect, but are you even aiming at trying by God's grace to strive towards this thing of purity? Are you striving? Pure in heart means there's, you're sincere. You're transparent. There's no deceit. What you see is what you get. There's no fakeness, no trickery, no hypocrisy. Listen, we could use, let's talk about like real life. We could use some practical purity, some integrity in 2020. Imagine, this is just kind of crazy land for a minute. Imagine if everyone on your Facebook feed walked with integrity. Help us. Like imagine if every news station and media outlet Scratch that. Imagine if any news station or media outlet had any shred of integrity. We are just one over one week from a presidential election here in the United States. Imagine, this is, this is amazing to think about. Imagine if the presidential debates and the town halls and the campaign rallies and the political analysis and their commentaries and articles and breaking news updates and all the things that we take and run and throw on our Facebook and social media and say, this is my guy or this is my guy. Imagine if all of that was filtered through integrity. Like doing and saying what's right no matter what it costs us. 
because that's how we should live as Jesus followers. That's this practical purity living out in our lives. That's how we walk with God. That's how we have communion with God. Political fact-checking has become a sport for many people on my Facebook. I don't know about you. Maybe I got the wrong friends. This is what he said that was wrong. Let me tell you about it. This is what he said that was wrong. Let me tell you about it. Here's another article that tells you all the things that my candidate said right and all the things that that candidate said wrong. And if we're not careful, we start looking like these religious Pharisees instead of more like followers of Jesus. So as we finish today, as we finish today, after all we've learned about this idea, I want to give us a definition. What is pure in heart? A succinct definition. Here's what it is. Our, our teaching team put this together. An internal wholeness, that's that integrity, that results in an external holiness. As I pursue integrity, as God does a work in me, guess what? It's coming out of me. And here's what Jesus says. If you walk in that purity of heart, you'll have a fellowship relationship with God. You'll have communion. You'll walk with God in a growing, thriving relationship. So our teaching team asked the question just as we finish. How do we live pure in heart in a chaotic land? Like how do we leave here today? How do we log off the computer on this Sunday morning? How do we do that and go, okay, I'm living, I'm pursuing purity. I'm pursuing integrity. We came up with four ways and, and they all start with C. So they're easy to remember. Here's the first one. Be careful. Some questions to kind of unpack these today. What are you allowing to influence your life? If we're going to be people of integrity, people of purity and heart practically, be careful. What are you allowing to influence your life? I love how Paul said it in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I know people that use what they call a Philippians 4.8 filter. They put that filter over everything in their lives, and if it doesn't fit, they get it out. That's being careful. You say, that's intense. Maybe. Or maybe it's careful. And it's purity of heart. Whatever is in your life, is it true or honorable and right and lovely and admirable? Am I thinking about things that are excellent and worthy of praise? Be careful. Is there accountability in my life? Listen, your heart is ugly. Maybe that was news to you. It's good news. It's bad news that leads to good news. Your heart is ugly, but Jesus comes to make your heart better. Jesus comes to save you. But you got to have accountability in your life. There's got to be people in your life as you're trying to walk this practical purity out. There's got to be people in your life that know you enough to call you out on your stuff. We love the verse in Proverbs that says, iron sharpens iron. We see that on t-shirts and we see that on bumper stickers. Listen, ironing, sharpening iron is like an intense process. There are sparks and there's heat and there's friction. But guess what? After all of that pain, something is sharper. That's how you get sharper. People in your life keeping you accountable. Be careful. Here's the second one. Be, be consistent. This is that idea of integrity. Are you the same person no matter where you are? This is such a hard question for me to wrestle with sometimes, and I'm sure for you as well. Whether I'm at home with my kids, my wife, or I'm at, I'm at church, or I'm at the gym, or, or I'm at work, or I'm out with the bros, or you're, you're on a play date with the mommy group, are you the same person? Somebody could drop in no matter how they know you or what they know you from, and there's nothing that stands out as like, whoa, this is weird. They're different. Be consistent. 
this is a tough one, on this idea of consistency. Is what you're aligning with publicly representative of who you are privately? Like if I scroll my Facebook page, your Facebook page, like does it actually make sense that like, yeah, all the things that I'm aligning with publicly, that's who I really am privately. There's no fakery. There's no, there's no deceit. Be consistent. Third way to live pure in a chaotic world. Be courageous. Do you call out what is wrong and encourage what is right, no matter what political party or what camp it puts you in? I love, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it doesn't matter what jersey you're wearing as a kingdom person. You call out what is wrong and you encourage what is right. And we live in a world right now that won't let you do that. Oh, you, you're on this side. You got to say all the things that this side says. As kingdom people, we're not on any side. We're on the side of the kingdom. And we say, hey, I don't care if it's this side or this side. If it's right, I'm going to encourage it. And if it's wrong, I'm going to call it out. Let us not forget we are kingdom citizens. Listen, should you vote? Yeah. Should, should you be informed? Yes. But let's never forget the gospel. No matter who wins in a week, if we find out in a week, we find out in a month or however long it is, we're going to find out. They are not going to change and give a remedy to our ugly hearts. They cannot do that. You cannot legislate the fix for ugly hearts. Can I be honest with you though? Sometimes like I forget that. And I get like really intense about things as if it's going to really change the world. The only thing that can truly change the world is the cross of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, I need to hear that sometimes. So maybe we be careful, maybe be consistent, maybe we, we be courageous. You know what that'll lead you to? That'll lead you to be somebody who's contagious. You, t- you, you, you do those three things, people are going to come up to you and be like, dude, how are you standing firm in this crazy world? How are you not getting caught up in this rhetoric at our, at our office parties? How are you, when, when everyone starts to, to wow out about what's going on in our world, you're just like different. That's because you're somebody who is positionally pure and you're working that out practically in your life with integrity. And people are going, I want to be around that person. I'm not going to that person for a side. I'm going to that person because they are a kingdom person. And I want to know what they think. In the midst of the chaotic world that Jesus was in, in the midst of the chaos of 2020, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who live with integrity. For they shall see God. They shall have fellowship Relationship, friendship with God. 